And turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7, we're in a series about engage until he comes. And this morning, seconds, we have a three-part about the passion, mission, and vision for God's kingdom. We'll conclude that trilogy Friday night. Uh, sometimes I, at the end, I've been known to say, so what about us? Um, I'm going to say, so what about Goliath's head Friday night? So uh, join us for that. But verse 1, chapter 7 of Second Kings. This is the word of God. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned and said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. They said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let's enter the city, the famine's in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and yelled to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father, we thank you that we have your word this morning. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that it's certain. We thank you that we can uh, depend our lives on what your word says. So, Father, we ask for your Spirit's help to grasp what your word's saying. Father, we're Spirit to help us with the Lord's Supper as it comes alongside uh, and helps us. Uh, Father, to grasp that, indeed, the value of the mission. Father, that uh, we have good news that's too good to keep. Uh, Father, grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Barbara Crinsavage found herself craving a, an old clam recipe, and so she went out in a blizzard to bring home 24 Quahog clams to their Rhode Island home. Her husband Ted was shocking them when he discovered one that looked like it was dead, had a different color to it, and uh, he thought it was diseased, so he tossed it on his uh, plate with the trash of the things he'd already shelled. And that's when Barbara took a closer look. 
Inside the clam was a rare, perfectly round purple pearl. Uh, experts estimate that roughly one in two million Kohog clams uh, contain a gem, the quality of the one found like the Crin Savages. They're so rare that it's difficult to put a value on it, uh, though some estimate that single pearl was worth somewhere around several hundred thousand dollars. What would you give to find such a pearl in your lunch today? All right. Uh, well, that's precisely the subject of Jesus' parable in Matthew 13. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, most of us here today have something of far greater value than the pearl Jesus describes and the pearl that the Crin Savages found. And Jesus' point is that the value of the gospel that one should be willing to give all that he has or she has to get it. But here's the amazing thing. The gospel is given to us. We do nothing to get it. Yet it's the most valuable thing in the world. Furthermore, we can both keep it and give it away and still have it. I tell you, it's just, it's, it's, it's just too good to keep for just ourselves. It has so much value, we should want to give it away. Now, that's the premise this morning. The gospel is good news that's too good to keep for ourselves. And we should want to give it to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's go back just a moment to last week, what we said about vision. We said that vision, seeing things the way they should be, in contrast to the way they are. We talked about mission. Mission is how we make vision a reality. Jesus' mission, we saw according to Luke 19.10, was to seek and save the lost. So that his vision, the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, would in fact come to pass. They want to add to that to talk about passion. Which is simply the desire or the motivation that we have to carry out the mission and bring the vision about. And the principle to suggest here, passion grows when it, uh, when it's driven by or it embraces the value or the worth of the mission or vision. Passion grows when it is driven by or embraces the value of the worth of the mission and vision. I can tell you that I lacked vision to carry out the mission to accomplish my dad's vision of a dandelion-free yard when I was 12 years old. I was quite lackluster in the way I went about that mission. And our vision is for the glory of Christ to fill the earth as the waters cover so that the whole world may know the true God. And that's in contrast to the way things are right now. Our mission is to take the gospel, the good news of the gospel, and to engage the world. That's the great commission that's given to us in Matthew 28, in Acts 1, in John 20, in Luke 24. And what we need is passion to fuel our vision so that the mission is accomplished. And the passion will grow the more we value the mission. The more we value the gospel the more we will want the gospel shared. And we will either go or we will send others. 
So uh, today we want to grow that passion, and we'll see that happen as we value the good news that's too good to keep ourselves. So let's, let's go to the text and see. Long before the horror that is now Ukraine, a similar tragedy unfolded in Israel. The Syrian army under the leadership of the evil Ben-Hadad had surrounded the city of Samaria and laid siege to it. No one was going in, no one was going out, no supplies were going in. Uh, food and hope were both in short supply. Uh, and uh, how bad was it? This is Second Kings 6.24 and following. Afterward, Ben-Hadad of Syria mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria until, as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Very sarcastic. And the king asked her, What's your trouble? She answered, The woman said, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and tomorrow we will eat my son. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she's hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. All right, several things to note about how desperate life can really be. First, we note Ben-Hadad's abusive power. Hitler, Putin, and the likes, tragically, have role models to look back on in history. Then there's the economy. Inflation had gripped Samaria. That price for the donkey's head is $700 for a donkey's head. All right? Any buyers here today for a nice, tasty donkey's head? No, none. Okay. Uh, people were starving. And they were so desperate, they were practicing cannibalism of their own children. The leadership being less than honest with the people, the king's hiding the fact that he's in mourning. He's hiding the sackcloth that he's wearing. And so like any good politician, he finds an easy target to blame. In this case, his target is Elisha, God's prophet. Now, while this is happening, the elders of the land are talking with Elisha and not the king. And in verses 32 and 33, we we read about the king sending messengers for Elisha. And then the king decides to go himself. That's where let's pick it up. Elisha seizes on that. They're all present. Watch what he says. Verse 1, Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. In other words, by the next day, the insane inflation uh, that was caused by uh, the Syrian siege will be over. And plenty of products will be back at their normal, regular price. Wouldn't you like me to hear me say today, prophetically, that tomorrow when you get up, the price of gas will have gone back down by a dollar plus, and the items that you've been buying at the grocery store that are sky high, all those prices will be back to normal. You'd like to hear me say that, wouldn't you? 
I'm not going to say it. All right. So, see, given world affairs, it really sounded too good to be true. Uh, and that's what the king's captain thought. He doubted Elisha. He doubted God's word. Captain of verse 2, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, how could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so what emerges is really twofold here. Can God really provide for our needs? And can God really keep his word? Well, let's see. Verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let's enter the city, the famine's in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, come, let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare us, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. When they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel is hired against us, the king of the Hittites and the kings of the, uh, Egypt, that, to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled to their, for their lives. When these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And they came back into another tent and carried all things from it and went and hid them. And they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, let us go and tell the king's household. All right, the lepers are outcast. They've been cast out of the city. Actually, going back in is not an option for them. And so they, they reason it out. We can stay here and we can starve to death. Or we can take a chance. We can go over to the Syrians and see if they have mercy on us and give us something to eat. Uh, you know, because if, if the Assyrians kill them, what's the issue? They're going to die anyway. So long behold, they go and they discover what? A vacated Syrian camp and more food and treasures than they ever thought possible. And so initially, what do they do? They, they indulge themselves uh, uh, and, uh, and eat all they want and take all they want. But what's the problem with that? Well, they have leprosy. They are going to die anyway. This isn't going to save them long term. Um, and then they begin to think, good news is for sharing. In fact, good news... Life-saving news brings an obligation to share. Given the desperation of the city, we see that with the cannibalism especially, they in fact want to share. The good news for the city is a matter literally of life and death. And friends, it's the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Except the stakes are even higher because they're talking about their eternal life and eternal death. The question we have to face is a similar one to the ones the lepers faced. What good does it do for us to keep the good news for ourselves and simply be consumers of the gospel? So notice in our text, who does God choose to be his witnesses? 
So they, the lepers, came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians. Behold, there's no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out and it was told within the king's household. So it is that lepers, outcasts, become witnesses and deliver the good news with a sense of urgency. They do it during the night. And friends, there's, there is, we see, a, a sense of urgency uh, to the gospel. One way to prevent future Putins and others of this world is to let them know Jesus. Now, the reality is that people are dying without the gospel. And dying without the gospel, they find themselves, they will find themselves separated from the loving presence of God for all of eternity. On the other hand, the gospel, it brings people from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from death to life. <coughs> In fact, the gospel is such urgently needed life-giving good news that we should be passionate about proclaiming the gospel so that the whole world will know of the fame of God. <coughs> I mean, what if when John Ryland heard William Carey talking, about becoming a missionary to India. And he told him, sit down, young man. When God decides to save the heathen, he will do it without your help. What if William Carey had just sat down? What would have been the impact not only on, on India, uh, but on missions as a whole? It's great to be warm outside, but you know what that means? Pollen, yes, Okay. Uh, but William Carey did not sit down. And the rest, as they say, is history. So how passionate are we to share the gospel to see the vision come to pass? Let me give you a quiz. All right, just one question. What do the following hymns have in common? And can it be that I should gain? Christ the Lord is risen today. Come thou long expected Jesus. Hark the herald angels sing. All for a thousand tongues to sing, rejoice the Lord is King. What's the answer? Uh, all, you're not looking at your notes, are they? Uh, they're all written by Charles Wesley, all right, John's brother. Um, July 18th, 1738, it was two months after Charles Wesley's conversion. And uh, he did an amazing thing. He had a friend named Bray who's he describes as a poor, ignorant mechanic. And so they spent a week witnessing to inmates at the Newgate prison, inmates who had been sentenced to die. Then on July 18th, Wesley and Bray asked if they could be locked in overnight with the prisoners who were to be executed the next day. And that night, they shared the gospel. They described Christ's sufferings and his sorrows, his agony, and his death. And the next day, the men were loaded onto a cart, and they were taken to Tyburn. Charles went with them. Ropes were fastened around to their necks so that the cart could be driven off and it would leave them just hanging in the air to choke to death. But the fruit of Wesley's uh, and Bray's long night of labor was astonishing. Here's what Wesley wrote. They were all cheerful, full of comfort, peace, and triumph, assuredly persuaded Christ had died for them and waiting to receive them into paradise. We left them going to meet their Lord. 
ready for the bridegroom. When the cart drove off, not one stirred or struggled for life, but meekly gave up their spirits. I spoke a few suitable words to the crowd and returned full of peace and confidence in our friend's happiness. That hour under the gallows was the most blessed hour in my life. So let me elaborate on two points that John Piper makes. One is simply the astonishing power of the gospel. Uh, Think about it. All the condemned prisoners were converted. And they were so deeply converted in one night that they could look death in the face. They were never discipled, by the way, never followed up on, except that night. And they gave up their lives with confidence that Christ would receive them. And then the other thing is that, that Wesley and Bray uh, took a risk to go and to ask to be locked up all night with these men condemned to die. I mean, that's a risk. These men had nothing to, uh, uh, to, to lose if they killed another person. Thank you. It would sure have been an easier evening if they just stayed home talking with friends. But Wesley did not. So why did he go? Because Wesley was passionate about the truth of the gospel. Uh, he believed in heaven and hell. He believed that what these prisoners believed in their hearts would determine their eternity forever, their destiny. So valuing the message of the gospel, he determined it was a risk worth taking. Friends, we should be praying that regular doors would open around us on a regular basis to share the gospel. We should be passionate about the mission of the church to take the good news of salvation and go and engage the nations of this world so that our vision of the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea will come to pass. Friends, sometimes we forget the sheer power of the gospel. I used to share with the youth this story. Maybe you've heard me say it. It was 1999 and Hurricane Mitch had devastated Honduras. Maybe you remember, maybe you don't, that as a response, CNPC sent a, a mission team uh, to take both medicine and the gospel. Uh, it was incredibly hot. The daytime temperatures reached in the low hundreds every day. Uh, we were out in rural Honduras, and we'd drive for miles without seeing much of anything uh, on roads that were heavily damaged uh, and uh, in desperate need of repair. We would come to a village, and we typically set up in, in the school there for the clinic. Most of those uh, schools were constructed like chicken houses. They had the, the, you know, the three feet up wood and then chicken wire above that, or sometimes nothing at all. Uh, uh, and though, yes, I was describing a local TV station as both pastor and doctor. Uh, yes, I've played a doctor on TV. I can say that. Uh, I actually was just in the pharmacy pushing drugs, all right? And uh, so then Jim Froelich, a doctor, uh, was a member here then, now he's at Westminster in town. But Jim came over to me and he said, here's a patient for you. Uh, There's nothing we can do for him. And um, he was a rail thin old man, uh, his body emaciated with cancer. uh, And Jim said, he's not a believer. So they sent a translator over to help, and I started explaining the gospel. He sat in a chair up against the, the wall there underneath the chicken wire, and there were five children standing behind uh, that. And uh, just as I got started, 
uh, they called the translator away because there was some other kind of crisis. And uh, so what was I to do? I, I did take four years of Spanish in high school at Nitro High School, 25 years before that. Uh, and uh, uh, so, but I, I had an evangelism explosion, uh, 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 explanation of the gospel in my pocket written in Spanish. So I thought, well, I know I can read Spanish. Uh, I can do that. And so I made it through. The children corrected a couple of mispronunciations. Um, and then asked the man if he wanted to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And he said, yes. And so did four of the children standing there as well. Uh, they'd been listening the whole time. Then I went and got another translator to make sure everybody understood. They did, and a, and a local pastor did follow up on these folks. But I want you to think about something. Um, the single most effective moment in my life as an evangelist uh, came uh, when I shared the gospel in Spanish, which proves it has nothing to do with the person that shares the gospel, folks. It's the power of the gospel itself. As Jonah learned, salvations of the Lord. Now, if you read the rest of the story in 2 Kings, you're going to see that that good news, shared good news, saved the lives of many. One notable exception was the king's captain who would not believe the word of the Lord and he was trampled to death by the people going to get food. Friends, the gospel is too good to keep and we must share with our neighbors and with the nations. So what about us? How do we then build our passion One is we've got to value the good news of the gospel that God saved us. He saved us. And He will save others from eternity in hell. We've got to desire the glory of God. We want Him to be worshipped by people from every nation. And that desire comes, comes from this book. We've got to have a heart for people of all nations. Hearts for Ukrainians, hearts for Russians. And to carry out the gospel, we've got to keep in mind that, that God uses lepers. He used risk takers like, like Wesley and Bray. And he'll use us. And so the question always comes, who will go and who will send? And so we come to the Lord's table today. And coming to this table should grow our grasp on the value of the gospel. Uh, as we appreciate, as we remember, as we reflect on what Christ did for us at the cross. Paul, of course, also tells us it's a proclamation of the Lord's death until He comes. We proclaim the Lord's death as we lift high the cross of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because of the power of the cross. I have mentioned before about Vukovar, Croatia. It's situated on the west bank of the Danube River, which separates Serbia and Croatia. Former of those two countries were part of Yugoslavia. Uh, following the war in the early 90s, uh, uh, they became their own countries. And bitterness and prejudice uh, and anger still between the two sides linger some 30 years later. Prior to the war, Vukovar had been a city uh, hosted a, a mixed population of Serbs and Croats uh, when the, uh, who, who lived as neighbors. Uh, after the war began, ethnic hatred uh, erupted. Vukovar was constantly bombarded by Serbian shelling night after night after night. Of all the cities, it was the most devastated by the war. In the town itself were two families that lived side by side, one Serb, one Croat. Uh, they were very close as friends. In fact, the Serb family were godparents to the Croat family's children. 
But after the war began, the Serb godfather went next door and he murdered the whole family. Then he, with a lot of other Serbs, fled from Vukovar. Uh, most of them have never returned. And for years, much of Vukovar was not rebuilt. Uh, it was standing almost as a monument in its, in its damage to the, to the hatred and the suffering. You could still pick up shrapnel from the ground years later. So the Croats built a memorial there in honor of those they called victims for free Croatia. They built it on the banks of the river. And the memorial is a cross, huge cross. So if you stand in Vukovar and you look across to Serbia on the other side, you almost have to see the cross. There's no other way to look across. In reality, the only hope to ever bring peace between Serbs and Croats is it's the cross of Jesus. So the answer is Ukraine looks across the border at Russia. It's Taiwan looking across the sea to China. It's South Korea looking across the border to North Korea. The cross is the answer for the whole world. It's the cross that bridges the the unbridgeable gap, as it were, between us and God. And our hope is that God will use us to share that good news with our communities and with our world. Friends, the more we value the gospel, the more we will want the gospel shared. And so in light of the cross, in light of that good news is too good to keep for ourselves, Jesus invites us to his table today. He invites all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who remembers a good standing of an evangelical church, to come to this table uh, and, and so we come. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer, we're, we're delighted you're here. Uh, and you've heard that good news is for sharing. Well, let me tell you, the Bible urges you not to participate, uh, but, but read what we suggest in the bulletin. Watch uh, and see, if you will, the cross. We'd love to share with you following the service how you can know that good news for yourself. Children are not yet been examined by the session. You should wait until they are before participating, but let me know if that's your heart's desire. But as believers, we're told to recognize the body of our Lord and examine ourselves to see if we're worthy of taking this. So as we always say, first, that's our attitude towards sin. You know, if there's sin that I think's okay, then I should not partake. Uh, if there's sin I want to ignore, I should not partake. But if there's sin that I need strength to battle against, need the power that we sang about earlier in Rock of Ages. Uh, this is a source of strength to fight that battle. Um, and if I need strength to help me love others, for somebody I'm struggling to love within the body, and I need strength to do that, this is where you get that strength. If we need strength to, to love the nations, friends, this is where that strength comes from right here at this table. So let's just take a moment now. Let's examine our own hearts before the Lord confess our sins and receive assurance of His forgiveness. Father, we acknowledge this morning that we are all sinners who have rebelled against You. We've gone our own way. Father, we've said, thought, and done things we shouldn't have. And Father, the things You've told us to do, the things You've told us to think about, they told us to say, Lord, we've not done those. Father, sometimes our hearts have been harder 
than, Lord, what they should be towards others. Or, Father, we've not been as caring as we should be. So, Father, we pray for your forgiveness for all these things. Father, as we acknowledge our sin before you, forgive us, we pray. Uh, Father, and remind us that when we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.